You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Amen. Great singing today. And I'm grateful uh, for the power of the cross. There's a lot that uh, we haven't yet figured out or found the source of power or healing or direction, but uh, we do have the power of the cross. And if that is true, then we're okay. It's going to be okay. It's all going to play out just as God intends it. And I hope today that you have experienced the power of the cross as it relates to your own relationship with Christ. If not, it's still powerful today. It's available today the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you would, turn to John chapter 4 today. Good to see your smiling face today. And we all have dug out of the snow. I was joking with several today. I think we have three parking spots in our north parking lot. All the snow is just encroaching, encroaching. So some of you had to maybe park in the back. Also be careful, we have a steel roof here. And I noticed several big like snow drifts on our roof. That if you time it wrong, you may experience a new new blessing from above. And uh, so... (laughs) That's up to you. You've been forewarned, and therefore our our liability has now been relegated to you. You're on your own. So good luck with that. So if you want to stay all day, I'm willing to preach all day. That's up to you. So anyway, good to see you today. Good to be back with you this morning. John chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 3. And following today, I hope the little vignette or video helped you kind of capture the the pulsating heart of that uh, dear gal there at the well and what Christ did in her heart and Again, what he wants to do in ours today. Um, just wanted to give you a word of testimony because obviously our church is uh, invested in our new Inspire Counseling Ministry. We were in Atlanta this past weekend, which was hysterical to watch them process like a dusting of snow. They were like panicking, and uh, that was kind of humorous to Heidi and I. In fact, there was more salt on the roads than anything. I thought I was going to get in a wreck from just the salt, especially on the bridges. We had to move slowly to avoid all the salt they had dumped there. But we had a great weekend, and uh, maybe we'll share more about that, but I think God is in that, and we're able to encourage and bless the pastor, hopefully, instead of being a burden to him and to his family and their church. But I want to just give you a word of introduction about next Sunday. You'll see on the slide, as well as in your bulletin today, next uh, weekend we are hosting here a wellness weekend. So we've been doing this now, this will be, I think, our fourth year, hosting something of this vein or emphasis that now we're doing out of here in other churches. And so I want to just talk through the schedule for a moment because this will be what's in play next weekend. Next Saturday evening at 5.30, we will have a service. Uh, our theme this year is dealing with stress. In the Saturday night service, we'll be talking about incremental stressors and how to process that biblically. And we'll talk about some of the psychological, physiological, biological issues connected to stress. So that'll be at 5.30. I want to encourage you to invite people to come to this. This is kind of a, an opportunity to invite people that normally don't come to church maybe and yet are processing things. And we'll be compassionate but also biblical in our presentation of that. After that, we'll be having a fellowship. I invite you to bring uh, a thing of soup to share and we'll try to be careful on how we eat together, minimizing some of the interactions best we can with different illnesses going around. But that'll be after the service on uh, February the 12th at 5.30. So that's next Saturday evening. And then next Sunday, make note of this, we will have an opening session at 9 a.m. Normally we have adult small groups that are meeting. We will not be doing that. In this side of the auditorium will be the men's session. So this, we have a wall we can pull here. And on that side will be the ladies' uh, session. Uh, I'm going to be talking about how men Uh, process stress and some of the unique challenges of that and how we can get better at that. Uh, Heidi will be teaching a session on some other things related to that, uh, especially how the Holy Spirit helps us in that uh, that effort. So this wall will be pulled. You just come in through the central lobby as you normally do, and uh, guest services will direct you to the spot. There will also be child care that morning, and uh, so we'll have something for the kids, but our teen and adult men will be in here, and our teen young ladies and ladies will be in the south side of the auditorium. So I invite you to be for the, uh, here for that at 9. We don't have a service in the evening, but we will have, again, our 1030 service that morning talking about traumatic stress, the crisis moments, uh, and uh, how we navigate those in a way that honors the Lord. All right, look here in John chapter 4. Let's pick up in our study of John. I heard Pastor Dave preach eloquently last week, and again, revival broke out while I was gone 
And so thank you for coming back, even though you're stuck with me today. John chapter 4, let's look at verse 3. He, Christ, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must, notice that word, needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, uh, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And so we're going to look at today this aspect of Jesus as we try to draw closer to Christ. Remember, John was the one closest of the disciples to Jesus, and we're reading his gospel this year, looking at Jesus as the evangelist. Jesus as the evangelist. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for those in the room today and giving us the health and strength to be here. I pray for many, Lord, that are out under the weather today, many tuning in via our live stream. We thank you for them. Pray that you would help them to sense that we were praying for them and we miss them and we long to be reunited with them soon. But Lord, I pray you give them grace and strength today where they sit as they tune in this morning. I pray that you would use your word even through this means of communication to bless and encourage and challenge them. Pray for each of us today as we open our hearts and minds to your word. The Lord, you'd help us to see where we are falling short, where we're coming up short of the mission you've given us as your followers. I pray that you would stir in our hearts, but also you would change us. Lord, may we not be just stirred, may we be changed. To have compassion for those who don't know you. Lord, many who woke up today in our county and in our state and in our country and in our world that don't have the hope and the peace, don't have the songs, the anthems of faith that we just sang. God, help us to be moved by that today. And may the example of your son give us a way forward that's a step-by-step process of growing in this thing called evangelism. Bless your word. Be honored in it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, The other day I heard a guy who was sharing about his kid talking about what he wanted to be when he grew up. I don't know what your your aspiration was as a child or maybe your kids or grandkids, but isn't it funny to hear our kids talk about what they want to be when they grow up? And so this dad was sharing that his young son, who had just begun to talk and process things in his future, he said to his dad, Dad, I want to be a doctor. And this dad's like, yeah. That's, I like that. That's, that's really promising. For one, I can re- probably retire early and they'll take care of me. So his young son said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. So before he could even really say, yeah, you know, yes, his son also followed up with, I may also want to be a dinosaur when I grow up. <laughs> so doctor or dinosaur. Um, isn't it funny how we have certain ambitions inside of us of who we want to be someday, even those of us that are a little advanced in age when we grow up? Can I say to you today, as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ, that many times we don't want to be what Jesus is. We want to follow him. We want him to save us from our sins, and we want certain things to be addressed in our life, but we're not willing to mimic him, especially in things that run counter how we tend to want to roll, how we want to direct and be known in our lives. In nowhere are we pretending more to follow Jesus where we're actually not than where we lack a practical zeal to become an evangelist like Jesus Christ. One of the things I love about this year, even just singing about the power of the cross, I hope you sense this in our church, one of the most refreshing things we can do as a church is be called back to the commitments, the disciplines, the embodiment of Christ's likeness in our day. We're not here today to entertain you. I hope you didn't come. The music was great. The instrumentalist laid down some great music today, and our vocalist led us, and we sang our hearts out. But we are here to respond to truth, to be challenged by it, to be changed by it. Um, I ask you this question as begin, why are we trying to be disciples in 2022 or disciples in 2022? Why? For those who currently are not following him. That's a large part of why we're trying to walk with Jesus. And so I hope today you'll let God's word challenge you, Allow this story and video as well as our text today to challenge you where needed. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his mission. And so we who follow him must shoulder that same mission. I was reading a study the other day, um, just recently came out, said a growing number of Christians don't see sharing the good news as a personal responsibility. And they gave a bunch of uh, statistics that jarred me as I read them and was even convicted by them personally. 
But of all those statistics, none was more dramatic of how things have shifted than the following. Every Christian, the study said, has a responsibility to share their faith. That was the statement. And then they asked folks to respond to that. Do you agree, uh, disagree, uh, whatever their response would be? When this study was first given in 1993, back in the Stone Ages, uh, nine out of 10 Christians agreed that their faith should be shared, 89%, almost nine out of 10. This study would have been done a few years ago, and I would submit to you maybe is even worse now, but as of this study, only two-thirds, only 64% of Christians think it is their personal responsibility to share their faith. And the trends are not trending in the right direction. And so I hope with your permission and with your openness to God's Spirit, you'll let us be challenged that it is our, as followers of Jesus, personal responsibility. So the question today is this, in a day of Christianity being about everything except Christ's primary mission, how do we get back to following Him in the primary calling of our discipleship? Let's talk about two characteristics of Jesus' evangelism found in the text today that can help us in this direction. Number one, for a few minutes, first of all, let's talk about the fact that Jesus was the inclusive evangelist. Jesus was the inclusive, key word today, inclusive evangelist. I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again, but one of the things that happened when we began this journey with COVID and all of the the effects it's had on our world is just prior to that, we had a very caustic, divided political cycle, did we not? Can you go back to that? I know that feels like 20 years ago in in many senses. The world was different back then than it is today. And I don't think normal's coming back. We just have to process that and ask God for his help moving forward. Um, But one of the things I noticed in the midst of that political upheaval is many times our politics affects our view of the gospel. And here would be the one example I would give you. Politics, amongst other polarizing issues, listen to me, it transforms our mission field into our enemies. And can I tell you today, many of those who need our witness and our testimony, we don't agree with them on anything. And are we willing to witness to the world, not just to people that are just like us, because probably those people primarily are believers or at least have a sense of morality and, and a sense of direction that we would share. And so we see Jesus being inclusive uh, in his evangelism. And though it may be obvious to many of us today, it is often our biases and our prejudices that have caused us to be out of step with Jesus in this area more than almost any other. You do know that the lion's share of the people who don't know Jesus Christ don't look like us. We have nothing in common with them for the most part other than they're a human being who's a sinner who needs Jesus as their personal Savior. And so if we're going to be evangelistic, we need to broaden our net. We need to broaden our openness to reaching those who desperately need Jesus. And so Jesus here gives us this example in John chapter 4. All right, let's talk about a couple things as it relates to the inclusion of Jesus as the evangelist. Number one, jot there in your notes, in your outline, in your bulletin, if you're taking notes today, draw closer to the Jesus who initiates, who initiates with his inclusion. Do you notice a little word in verse 4 as we read through it? It says in verse 4, he must, he must needs go through uh, Samaria. So Jesus initiates this conversation. He doesn't wait for the world to come to him. He goes to where they are. All right, what areas of initiation or initiative can we exhibit uh, more consistently as believers? Number one, geographical initiation. And we see that in verse 4, he says he must needs go through Samaria. Now, if you can understand, and obviously I've just been to the Holy Land, so in my head it's a little maybe clearer than to you, and I remember listening to other people say that, and I had to process it as well. But if you can visualize, Israel is elongated. Um, there was one place, I remember us going up on a mountain, we could, see the, we could see the east edge of Israel, and we could also see the Mediterranean. We could see the whole country from one mountaintop. It's that narrow. But it also is elongated, and Jesus was coming from Galilee down to Jerusalem. He was making one of his journeys. They had three feasts every year, and so he's making his way uh, to Jerusalem. And Samaria, going through Samaria, was the most and still is the most direct route between those two parts of Israel. 
The problem was the Israelites, with their bias and their prejudice, for years and years and years had gone around Samaria, the longer route, to avoid people like this lady. And Jesus, instead of taking the the acceptable route and what most would take, he decided with his disciples to go through this city. Now, Jesus was not saying, I want to see the streets of Samaria, have some curiosity. I want to see what they've got in the marketplace, or there's this neat restaurant I want to introduce the disciples to. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Because of this lady, a soul who needed to hear the gospel, who needed to be introduced, not to a God in a generic sense, but in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And so evangelistic initiative on our part begins by being willing to take what are obvious paths toward people that we don't want to take. Um, Can I encourage you, who in your life have you been avoiding for years, and yet you know needs to hear of Jesus and needs to be introduced to how to access personal relationship with Him? And so our initiative begins by being willing to travel the obvious path that we would prefer to avoid. I go to verse 5. Then he comes to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. So the region would be Samaria. Now this little city within it called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to Joseph. And so we see him now traveling into the city. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And so this ancient well, Jesus is going to use it as the backdrop of his his evangelism, as we seek to mimic and to learn from him, he comes to this little city. Um, One of the privileges I had was to go into the the West Bank where this currently is located, and I wanted to just show you a couple of pictures. So this would have been from a mountain. In fact, this would have been Mount Gerizim that we were standing on, that the Samaritans, that's where they would have had their temple and their worship. And I can't... uh, show it to you on this picture. I'll zoom in in just a minute. But almost smack dab in the middle of that picture of this sprawling city that's there today uh, is this building, the red roof. There's like a clay roof to it. One of our guys had a, uh, a zoom feature on their camera where they could zoom way in, and so I got the picture from him. But this is a, a uh, church that's been built over top of the place that is the location of Jacob's well. In fact, It's one of the only biblical sites in the Holy Land that has been absolutely verified. Uh, We went to the Garden Tomb, we went to the place Golgotha, but some of that is still a bit of supposition. We're 2,000 years removed, but this is one of the few sites in Israel that they have, there's obviously some shrines and things been built near it, but it actually has been verified as the site of Jacob's well. And so I, with my eyes, and one of our guys had a a little uh, binocular singular lens one, as it'll zoom in and with my eyes see the place where this all went down. Really cool. It was a geographical place where Jesus and this woman met. And what that does for me, just seeing those pictures is, I think sometimes we make evangelism this abstract thing when it literally is just a place in human time and space where you who knows Jesus and someone who doesn't meet and interact and have just a conversation. It's really that simple. And where you live, there are also people living there who haven't met your Savior. Would you just open up your life to that? The place you live, the zip code you're in, the the house you live in, the body you're in, all these things of spatial uh, reference points are callings of God to be an evangelist. And may I just say to you today, though the Old Testament model was, come and see my people Israel, come to the temple like the Queen of Sheba, today we are called to go and tell. We are called to initiate. So may I submit to you today, as well as to me, where God brings conviction, our lack of evangelistic productivity is our passivity. We're not productive because we're not exerting the initiative that we need. Go, tell, preach, declare, show what great things God has done in us. I heard a man the other day who was speaking at a, it was a Baptist convention or gathering, and he said this to the the assembled throng there. He said, if you're really a Great Commission Baptist, Baptist, you will have a passport. Like, it really is that simple. Like, we talk about reaching the world, and we just stay 
at home. And COVID has only exacerbated this tendency we have to hunker down and to pull away from the very world that God uh, has called us to reach. And so may we be willing to show initiative like we see Jesus doing geographically. Go to where they're at and preach Jesus. Go to where they're at. All right, go down to verse 7 now. So the woman comes, and notice now Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Number two, so geographical initiative or initiation. Number two, verbal initiation. Verbal. Notice Jesus does not sit quietly on the well. He speaks up. He speaks to her. And I think many, many times where we fail in this area of evangelism is it's just lifestyle evangelism. It's just going to be by osmosis. People are going to pick up on this. And yet the scriptures are clear that faith comes by what? Hearing the word of God. How will they hear without a preacher? And so we are that preacher in many contexts. And so there must be verbal initiative as well. And notice that Jesus doesn't go for the jugular, if you will, right away. He just starts with a a, a mutual need, a mutual rapport or understanding that both of them uh, would know. And so he asked her for a drink of water. Notice though he goes on now, verse 9, we'll come back to his disciples in a moment. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? So you have the male-female barrier Men didn't speak to women, even Jewish women that were not their wives many times. Um, and then you have the Jew versus the, I don't know how else to say this nicely, the half-breed would have been the term thrown at the Samaritans, half-Jew and half-Gentile. Why are you talking to me? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would give thee living water. Notice how he now transitions from the physical water to the living water. Verse 11, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, the well is deep, for whence then hast thou that living water? And so the woman is thinking on a literal sense, on a physical sense, Jesus is beginning to steer the conversation to her spiritual needs. Um, I think I've shared this once before, but it's funny to me to watch, in one sense, to watch the Samaritan woman try to get on Christ. Uh, wavelength or mental perspective on the situation. The other day I heard, I don't know if you ladies struggle to understand what your husband or other men in your life, what they're thinking. Like, what are they thinking? And here someone said this tongue-in-cheek, maybe this is probably actually true. Women, sp women spend more time wondering about what men are thinking than men actually spend thinking. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Here is this woman trying to process what Jesus is saying, and as, as she's processing it, Jesus is thinking on a different level. He's thinking on a higher level, and like you ladies with your husbands, okay? Jesus was the perfect man, okay, that we all, we know, we don't measure up, sorry, okay? But Jesus was thinking on a certain level, and so as she processes this verbal initiation and then the follow-up comments, Jesus is saying, I'm God, I'm God in the flesh, and I'm offering to you something beyond this physical well. All right, verse 12, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, we just saw the picture of its geographical location, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is basically saying, you've been coming to the wells of this world and you have to keep coming back because it doesn't satisfy. This woman, it was alluded to in the video, but it's very likely with her reputation being what it was or what it was not, she would come to the well in the heat of the day or she wouldn't see the, the, the looks and have the snide remarks from others in the, in the city. She was an outcast, even amongst outcasts from the Jewish perspective. And she would come to that well and she would labor with that water on her head back to her house. And she would do it over and over and over again. And Jesus said, I know something that will satisfy. I know something that will never disappoint. And once you have it inside of you, you will become this well of living water. 
May I just remind you today that we are not used car salesmen. We're not vacuum cleaners. Uh, sale, va- yeah, we're not vacuum cleaners. Does that help you today? We're not vacuum cleaner salesmen. We're not selling inferior products. What we have is richer and sweeter and satisfying than the deepest, richest, most over-promising, under-delivering wells in our world. We have what everyone wants. They may not know they want it, or at least how to get it. That's what we're offering. We're not a threat, though some may interpret it that way. We're offering the very thing the core of the fiber of their very being yearns for. Does that come through in our witness? Jesus offers to her what she had craved all of her life. And so we see that alluded to in verse 12. All right, verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Notice she's still processing the the physical part of it. She yearns for this. She immediately responds with openness. Again, still thinking of literal water. I don't know if this resonates with you, but I don't think I've ever thought about this from this angle before. Someone said this, Jesus created lilies to compare himself with them. And then this, think of this. Water to explain how he refreshes the thirsty. Like she was focused on the physical, which really was only a means for him to open up a window and illustrate to her what was the real water, the real life that Jesus offers. Are we seizing those opportunities? Our world sees the sunshine today. Our world sees the snow and the treasures of it, as one biblical writer reminds us, and the beauty and the the rhythm of life, and they just walk right past it. What really is behind all of that? We, as the witnesses, get to share that. So he created even water itself to, to position this woman to be receptive to something that would ultimately refresh and satisfy her. See, to follow Jesus is to move toward the lost. You ought to write that down if you're taking notes. To follow Jesus is to move toward the lost. And when we run from them and when we avoid them and when we excuse away that move, we're not just moving away from them, we are moving away from following Jesus. Where have you lost or never added evangelistic initiative to share in all the ways in which God is attempting to reveal himself to those around you? Would you allow God to renew that? Would you for the first time be open to evangelistic initiative? Think about how far Jesus had come. He had come out of the ivory palaces, the psalmist says. He had come to planet earth. He could have easily just parked on the well and waited for people to come to him. He could have just taken the normal route to Jerusalem and said, if the Samaritans want to hear of me, they'll find me. No, he went further. Where do we need to go further with initiative? All right, number two. Secondly, draw closer to Jesus, who not only initiates, number two, who con- uh, we'll get to that in just a minute, who, number two, confronts with his inclusion. So second point there on your outline today, draw closer to the Jesus who confronts with his inclusion. There's a shift now in the narrative. If you go down to verse 24, we'll come back to the verses that lead to it. But look at verse 24. Jesus says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So you have a must in verse 4. He had to go to Jerusalem. Number two, you have to worship God his way. He confronts where this woman is worshiping in a wrong manner. Uh, my son Landon and I have this ongoing conversation about millennials. Like to him, if you say that's millennial, that's not a compliment, okay? It's like you bunch of softies. I'm a millennial. I was sharing with them and their fellow classmates in chapel this past week. I am actually considered, there's like a micro generation. So millennials start about 1980. I was born in 80. There's actually a micro division of, of millennials from 80 to 85, because we're kind of pre-internet, we are called, wait for it, geriatric millennials. <laughs> like, I, it's hard for me even to admit that. I am a geri- and geriatric, you know what that means, right? It means you're young and spry and just ultimately right on, you know, yeah, right. I, I need my, 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 you know, my walker or something. I'm a geriatric millennial. Um, but we were talking about that, and one of the running things with Lan and I is the soap that Heidi puts on our bathroom counter like the aroma of them. And he's just like, it's a bunch of millennial soap. I'm not using it. Maybe that's just an excuse not to use soap as a teenage boy. <laughs> but they're millennial soaps. And I walked, just the other day I walked in, here's the, the current soap being featured by my wife, who is so loving and supportive of our, our hygiene. 
It is called, here's the, the aroma, frozen lake. <laughs> All right, do you know what a frozen lake smells like? Because I don't, so I, I can't hold them accountable if that's really what it smells like. But that's the name of it, frozen lake. Can I just tell you today, the world, a lot of things that they're looking to for life and satisfaction is just frozen tundra. It, it doesn't offer anything satisfying. Listen to me. So to confront them, where they're looking for life and satisfaction in the wrong places is not hateful. It's the most loving thing we can do. So Jesus loves this woman enough to bring her sin into the light and to reveal to her, you're coming up empty. You're not being satisfied. And here's where you need to change your thinking and belief in relation to me. And so we see him drawing, we need to draw closer to a Jesus who confronts with his inclusion. So we're not saying come in as you are and believe whatever you want. We go reach them, but then we also confront where there is false belief. We do so lovingly and yet firmly. All right, two things. Notice this about Jesus that we can benefit from in our own evangelism for the Lord. Number one, notice there is probing confrontation. Jesus begins to probe into this woman's heart and life, not to embarrass her or to shame her, but to bring to bear the need that she has. Look at verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Pause. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. And so we see him probing into where she is deficient, where she has failed, where she is not where God wants her. He's willing to do so tenderly and yet directly. Why is there this shift in the conversation? Why does he bring this to bear? Jesus, who knew her life, he could read her mind. He knew where she came from and where she was going. He was using it to bring to bear the need in her life, the need for a Savior as a sinner and for God's grace and mercy to be experienced in her own, in her own life. And you see her in verse 17 and 18 kind of indirectly, not lying, but trying to avoid the uncomfortable truth that Jesus is about to bear, bring to bear in her heart. May I just remind you today, only those who know that they are lost can be saved, right? And I think one of the things that's deficient in our witnessing is we talk about God's love and grace and mercy, but we do it even those things at disservice when we don't talk about how desperately lost and how desperately we need them and how much we don't deserve them. Uh, and so we need to make sure we emphasize that in our witness as Jesus does. He begins by showing her the fact she's lost, her need, her desperate need of God's grace and his mercy. And so in our own witness, may we be willing to bring others face to face with the Spirit's help, to face the fact they're dead in trespasses and sins, that they need a Savior, that they can't save themselves, and yet all of that Jesus is willing to save. That's where our evangelism will see an uptick. Um, pastor friend of mine said this recently, I think it's a good way of putting this. We don't have to agree with people to love them. And so part of loving is maybe enunciating, hey, this is not right, or you're not believing and trusting in the right things, but I still love you, and God still loves you. And so may that come through in our witness as we probingly confront the sin and the sinners around us. All right, then if you will, go to verse 24. As we read a moment ago, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Number two, jot this down. Not only is there a probing confrontation, number two, there is a redirecting confrontation. A redirecting confrontation. The woman tried to change the subject. If you notice back in verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, ye say, you Jews, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she tries to basically change the conversation from where it's starting to get painfully personal and direct in her life. She's deflecting, trying to redirect the conversation. Jesus brings it back to her relationship with God personally. May I remind us today that religious debates are about typically temporal and tangible priorities that many times misdirect us and lead us away from the need of the sinner and the answer or solution of the Savior. I think that's one of the things we've got to get better at, brethren, is our conversations with the lost need to stay on message. Can I share an example of that very quickly? So one of, if you were to ask me, some of you asked even this morning, because I didn't see you the last Sunday I was here um, or talked to you, 
What were some aha moments or things that broke through? And that's a loaded question. There's so much. And as you see, I'm just trying to share a few things as we work through John. But one of them was this. We were standing on that picture I showed you of the well, Jacob's well, was actually what is present-day Mount Gerizim. And the mountain that the Samaritan woman is referencing here is that mountain. So if you can picture Jesus and this woman near that well, I don't know if this is true, but let's fill in the gap for a moment to help us picture it. Possibly when she said these words that we just read, she pointed to the mountain I took that picture from, Mount Gerizim. Now here's the pushback on that or the aha moment. It's very likely, based on other things I can't get into today for sake of time, that the Mount Gerizim of not only the day I was in Israel two weeks ago-ish, three weeks ago, as well as the day where she's pointing at it, was not even Mount Gerizim. So she says to Jesus, follow the thought with me, do we worship in Jerusalem on that mountain where you say we worship, or as she pointed to Mount Gerizim? And here's the key thought today. Jesus, if that's true, based on archaeological evidence that that is not Mount Gerizim, he didn't correct her. You know, many times we get into arguments about lesser things where maybe they're even wrong, but that's not ultimately where they're wrong. And we get into side debates and issues, and we get arguing about this and that, and the whole issue is they're a sinner, they need Jesus, and we know Jesus, and we're offering that to them. Stay on message. Stay on mission. That is our responsibility as followers of Jesus. And here's what we do. We take our cues from the lost and the world we disagree with instead of our cues from our master, Jesus, who's trying to have a conversation through us with that dear soul and individual. And so stay on message. Redirect the conversation back to what we are ultimately called to represent. Now, look at verse 28. So he brings her into relationship with him. He brings it to bear. She ultimately, I believe, yields to that because it's alluded to here in verse 28. Notice what she does, and it was in the video today. The woman then left her water pot. Isn't that cool? John didn't have to include that, but he did. He who was there and watched it happen, and maybe crumble as she dropped it at her feet or into the well. The woman then left her water pot, went her way in the city, and here it is. Here's the testimony of her own faith, and say it to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? And so this water pot that she had relied upon for refreshment and renewal and life, she now abandons that because she's found what she needs in Jesus Christ. She not only left her water pot, she also went her way in the city. And it's interesting, she becomes an evangelist herself. She begins to share with others what God had revealed to her and gets the attention of the city and testifies to them that this is the Messiah. I don't know if you're familiar with a missioner named J. Hudson Taylor. He's often called the father of modern missions, China Inland Missions. He was a British missionary that served in China for a number of years. But he once was quoted as saying this in reference to John 4. I never heard this till our study for today. He said this, Some are jealous to be successors of the apostles. I would rather be a successor of the Samaritan woman. And here was the thought, who while they went for food, and we'll come back to verse 8 in just a moment, she forgot her water pot in her zeal for souls. Like, she's the example in this text, unfortunately, because the disciples haven't got up to speed yet, she's doing more evangelism than they are. And so may we take her example to heart. May we be willing to allow God to use us to be that for others, to be that witness and testimony to them. And we just unveiled today, I think most of us that are in Sunday small groups, what we're calling Who's Your One? And some of you will have that this coming Wednesday if you're in our Wednesday night uh, discipleship groups, where basically we're praying for who is the one? Who's the one that I know is away from God or doesn't know Christ as Savior? And what can I do to pray for them and invest in them and invite them? How can I do those things? Each of us can be a part of that process, showing initiative, where in the past we have been passive. Um, there's a man named Penn Gilliatt. Uh, I don't know of him personally, but he is known. Uh, he's a magician and known in different parts of the world, the entertainment industry. Penn and Teller is the, uh, the duo. They do uh, magic shows, illusions. And he is known, Penn Teller is known as a, an atheist. He's an overt atheist, and he's been for years that, and he's in your face with that. 
A few years ago, somebody sent me a video of him. He posted on YouTube after he had just received a Gideon Bible from a Christian businessman that came up to him after one of his shows. And there's a lot, they're, 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 the language and the style of their shows would not be something I would recommend to a believer. But this Christian businessman just had a burden. He gave to Penn Teller a, new te- a, a Bible, a Gideon Bible. And so later, um, this gentleman uh, mentioned in his YouTube channel, he said these, the following statements. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? So he's speaking to we Christians as an atheist. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people who would be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, how can you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward? He ended with this. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not to tell them? It makes logical sense, brethren, that if we really believe what we say we believe, we will live with initiative as it relates to evangelism. Do you really believe every soul that lives next to you and across from you and you work with and you used to work with and everybody you're related to, do you believe they will spend somewhere forever? Start showing the initiative that affirms that belief. Do it graciously. Do it patiently. But let Christ lead you. Uh, where we need to grow. All right, number two now, and that leads us to our second point today. Let's talk about where Jesus is not only the inclusive evangelist, but the exemplary one, to we who are his followers. So there's two target audiences in John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well, but it's also the disciples who are a bit flat-footed where they should be in sync with Christ as it relates to evangelism. The exemplary evangelist. So Jesus shows us what example to follow in our own relationship with this world. Um, our piano right down here the other day, Dean, one of our guys sent me this picture. This is John Richardson at the piano. Did you guys know he plays the piano? He doesn't, okay, at least that I know of. But uh, do you know on your iPhone how it has uh, um, live photos where it'll take like a one-second clip before and after the frame so it actually moves? You know what I'm talking about, those of us that have iPhones? The, the picture that was sent me, I can't show it on the screen here, it had this where John, he's just faking that he plays the piano and Dean walked by and he's like shaking his head like he's just like working the keys. He's got like this whole head thing going. He maybe has the head part of pianoing, but the, the keys are maybe lacking a bit if I know John. But it just cracked me up to see that picture. Somebody sent me that a few weeks ago as he's showing us, you know, how to play the piano. Aren't you thankful that Jesus the one who sets the course and the direction, has done what he asks of us. And unlike John, he knows what he's doing. Um, in fact, he does it very effectively. Uh, and so the disciples are going to learn from the example of Jesus, and we too can, as we observe what he lays for us here as foundation. See, Christ was being evangelistic, not just for the benefit of the lost woman in front of him, but to move the eyes, the hearts, and the lips of his disciples to imitate him. Watch, guys, learn, do as I do. And so he, he encourages them with his example. All right, let's talk about a couple of things quickly as it relates to that. Number one, draw closer to the Jesus who challenges with his example. Draw closer to the Jesus who challenges with his example. So he confronts the lost woman, but he also challenges his disciples who are a bit self-absorbed, to say the least, at the beginning of Uh, this chapter. Notice verse 27. So in the midst of this, just prior (laughs) to the woman and what we see of her in verse 28, so probably the disciples saw her leave the water pot, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, none of the disciples, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? And so they see this conversation, they're surprised by it, and yet they're unwilling to ask Jesus why. Um, One commentator said this in relation to these disciples. He said this, the disciples marvel that he talks with the woman, but they would have have been better employed wondering why he talked to them. Did they deserve Jesus talking to them any more than this woman? Key statement today, it's going to cut because it cuts me as I say it and as I share it with you today. Our lack of evangelism reveals our shallow belief that we are more entitled to Jesus than others are. Does that hurt? That hurts me. They thought they deserved Jesus talking to them. But why is he talking 
to her and someone like her in this kind of a place. Our lack of evangelism practically says, I'm more entitled to Jesus than others. And the way to push back against that and to fight that tendency in all of us is to follow the example we see Jesus laying out. He challenges first, as we have there in the notes, their shallowness. Their shallowness. Their shallowness is challenged through Jesus and his example. All right, go down to verse 31 quickly. In the meantime, while this is going on in Sychar, while his disciples prayed, saying, Master, eat. Master, eat. And so we see the disciples focused on food when God is doing a great work in this city. At the very moment when a Samaritan city is having all-out revival, all the disciples are focused on is the next meal. Does that sound familiar to you? God's on the move. He's working in tons of places this morning, and he did so earlier today in other places. And if we're not careful, this hour is about the next meal. It's about the next thing, the next stuff that I want, that even I need at the expense of the evangelism God has called me to. Our lack of evangelism shows where our God is actually our stomach more than it is concerned with other souls. What I need and what I want and what I crave versus the eternal destiny of those around me. Philippians 3, verse 18 and 19, Paul says this, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And we read that verse and we think he's getting ready to ramp into some egregious sin, some heinous thing. And here's what he says. Here's how he describes those who are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. And here are the words, who mind earthly things. All it takes to be an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ, the power that we just sang about that could be unleashed in others' lives is our God is our belly and we mind earthly things. And the disciples here perfectly embody that in the narrative of the text. Where do we see parallels in our life that need to be challenged by God himself? All right, go on to verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. So he uses the water as an analogy for the woman at the well. He now uses meat. Therefore, verse 33, said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him ought to eat? They're still thinking on a literal level. Verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. While the disciples are focused on temporal things and earthy things, Jesus is doing the will of the Father. This does not mean the Lord Jesus did not eat actual food. Rather, it means that the great aim and object of his life was not to cater to his body, but to to do the will of the Father. And nowhere is it more God's will than to be an evangelist for him. Um, Far too often we fail in this area because we're focused just on ourselves where we need to be focused on God, his will, and the need of those around us. You've probably heard this by now, but there are only two choices on the shelf, serving God, and the second option is not doing seances and witchcraft, just serving self, loving self. There's only two choices. And for those who serve God, they get their focus off themselves, and one of the areas that makes us most selfless and evidences that most is when we are witnessing, when we are sharing our faith firmly, lovingly, consistently for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. It's interesting because here it is, and we'll move to our last point. We ultimately get what we go after. The disciples went into the city to get food, and they got food. Jesus went into this city, and the woman followed his pattern. They went to get souls. They went to see God do something through them. What are we going after? What's our life consumed with? What's our passion? What's our calling? The end of all this, what will we be known for pursuing? Self or the souls that God has put in our life. All right, lastly, look at verse 35. Christ now brings this to application for these dear men as they process and eventually grow in this area, as we can too. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, here it is, lift up your eyes, get them off you, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Lastly, number two, shallowness challenge. Number two, short-sightedness challenged. We see Jesus challenging their short-sightedness. 
He confronts them where they're focused on themselves and only immediate physical harvest where there's a richer, broader, more eternal harvest being uh, accomplished. Um, I have a friend of mine who pastors in Toledo, well, Pastor Rands, who was here for our anniversary Sunday last year. I love this. When I see men who have been in ministry for some time who still have a passion for souls. And he posted this just the other day for his church, but I think it has application for us as well. He said this, quote, this is, Toledo got like 10 inches more of snow than we did, I think, as far as what I've heard. They got nailed. We got some as well. But he said this, stop by the church this morning to pick up a gospel track, and then stop by your favorite coffee shop and pick up a gift card for a cup of coffee. Put both in your mailbox and let your mail carrier know you appreciate them working in this Midwest winter storm. He ended with this, don't miss an opportunity to share Christ's gospel message. Isn't that a good idea? Like, are we looking for those opportunities instead of, here's what most of us, I hope it isn't true of us, what was going on in our, in our county and city? People were cleaning the shelves. Storm's coming, I'm thinking about me. And even nobly speaking, my own family and kids and grandkids. What about the lost? Keeping our heart, keeping our passion, our fervor for souls. The disciples went to the city for food. Jesus and this woman went to be a witness. And so may we lean into that where we tend to be short-sighted. Uh, and then he says in verse 36 to 38, we don't have time to break these down at length, but notice he says, he that reapeth receiveth wages, gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And so he's talking about the rewards that will come, not just in this life, but in eternity. The blessings, the benefits that are ours when we witness for the Lord. I just paint a little picture for you for just a moment because we divorce heaven from the here and now too much in our lives. And we act like what's going to happen there is not contingent in any way on where we live and what we're doing today. Here's just a thought, a question. What kind of group hugs? He talks about that we're a team in this evangelism. It's not going to be one that sows and waters and reaps. It's going to be one sows and another waters and probably someone else waters and then somebody eventually harvests. How many group hugs are you going to be a part of in heaven or a bunch of you together saw a soul saved because of your effort. You're probably going to at least have one hug with the person who led you to Christ. I'm talking, how many of those will you be a part of because you were engaged in evangelism? Christ is reminding us there's more going on than meets the eye. There's more going on than just in the here and now. And so our efforts matter because they're a part of something eternal. A soul is eternal. Eternal destiny is at stake. May we have the long view. All right, lastly, draw closer to Jesus who produces with his example. And I love this, the end of our text today. We don't have time to look at it at great length, but we see the productivity of Christ's example. So he confronts them, and then he reminds them that he is at work. All right, two things under that. Number one, notice there is an organic, organic production. This, this, this saving that happens, this, this revival that occurs in this city of Sychar, verse 39 and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Organic production. Um, the other day on Tuesday, I spoke at chapel in, uh, at Temple Christian in Mansfield. I'm not kidding you. My boys could attest this. Within a minute or two of me getting up to teach in chapel, right in front of me, who were the guy was sitting right sitting right behind my boys, he threw up. And it wasn't like a minor. Hmm, did he throw up or not? It was very obvious to everybody in Richland County. This kid threw up. Okay, it just and he tried to stop it, and that only made it worse. Anyway, so I'm I'm to get up to teach and chat high school, junior high, junior high, and high school chapel after a kid just threw up. And uh, I just prayed driving over this morning, Lord bless and lead me and help this to be what you want it to be today. And he threw me a curveball, okay? <laughs> and I just went with the organic moment in more ways than you would care to imagine today, an organic moment. I just had to go with what was there. Can I tell you today, many times our soul winning, it suffers because we have this perfect clean way that we're going to lead somebody to Jesus or they're going to receive the gospel. It's more fluid than that. And having been on both ends trying to force it and dut da dut da dut kind of witnessing and letting God move, I'd go with the latter every time. Just letting him move, letting him stir, being in sync with him as, as Christ here is inviting his disciples into. God was working in this city. 
All because a woman testified of what God had revealed to you. All we need to have the touch of heaven on our witness is just share what God has shown us. Just share your testimony. You don't need to have a fancy outline and it's all alliterated and organized. Just share. Work some scripture in. I think that's wise. But share what God has done in your life. Far too often we're trying to evangelize the holdouts instead of the seekers. The Jews didn't want Jesus. This city, they wanted him. They wanted to hear from him. And so go to those who are seeking, sense those that are seeking, share with them the gospel of Jesus. All right, lastly, verse 41, and many more believe because of his own words. So they believe because of what the woman said and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. So we see organic production number two, attentive. They listen to Christ directly. They are attentive. The Jewish people wanted nothing to do with the Messiah, and yet the Samaritans here are responding to the message. Can you imagine the Jewish disciples, primarily Jews, being shocked by the fact that the gospel was not exclusive? It wasn't just for them, it was for the world. I remind you of that today. It is not just for us, it is for the world. One of the tendencies I see in our ranks today as Christians, and it's only been accentuated by things we have going on now Um, socially especially as a result of everything we've been through. But we tend to label as, quote, spiritual gifts what are the callings and responsibilities of, listen to me, every Christian. It's not a spiritual gift to be evangelistic. It is a non-negotiable means of obedience, a requirement of obedience. Are we willing to own that today? Just say that out loud. Admit that, that it's not a spiritual gift for a few, for an elite, for those who have extra gifting, it is all of ours responsibility. Because here it is, there are people you know that I'll never meet, or people you have rapport with that I can't build a connection if I try it. We each are called in our area to be evangelists for Jesus Christ. Um, The other day I was reading a story about a man as we close today who back in 2013, threw an old PC hard drive that he had away. His first mistake is he had a PC, right, Josh? Amen to that. Yeah, for us Mac people out there. Um, But he realized several months after, so this was in uh, Newport, Wales, uh, UK, that the time the hard drive he threw away had a digital wallet in it filled with 7,500 Bitcoin. And if you don't know much about crypto, just stick with me for a second, okay? I don't understand all of it either. So he had 7,500 that at the time were worth $665,000. Today, that same digital wallet with those 3,000 or 7,500 Bitcoin, at least last I checked, were worth north of $350 million. And he threw it away. That was in 2013. Since then, they just tracked the story again and updated it. He has been trying to get into that landfill. He's been in that landfill trying to dig up what is... It's the size of a football field to find this little hard drive. And he's promised money to others and the city council won't let him in. Just all kinds of stuff as he tries to get access to this to find it. And if he doesn't find it, obviously he's out uh, forever, uh, that money. And I was thinking about that as it relates to the lost and our spirit uh, toward them. If you knew this guy, you would care about what he's lost. Can I remind you today, when you're close to someone, you value what they value, right? There are things I care about, including frozen lake hand soap that I would never have a passion for if it weren't for my dear wife. I love her, and so whatever she has, I at least have to tolerate and pretend that I'm passionate about it. Can I tell you as it relates to the lost, to Jesus and what he values and what he appreciates, lost souls are precious to him, right? In ways we can't even fathom as he said, Father, forgive them. As he went through the cross, as he tasted death for every man, it, he showed to us the price tag of a soul. And so may we value the lost as he has done. I was sharing this with one of our men this past week. We were in discipleship. We were looking at eschatology and the doctrine of last things. And I gave him this thought as we close, not original with me. Someone said this, God did not give us the book of Revelation and the rest of the Bible, including John 4, so that we would build bomb shelters in our backyard. He gave us this book so we would build a bigger dining room table and invite our friends to that table and tell them about Jesus. That's why we know what we know. That's why the future has been revealed to us. 
It's not so we can chill out and relax and try to keep our minds and hearts calm as the world is in chaos. It's not just for that benefit. It's meant to be broadcast. And from this pulpit and from your chair and from your home and your dining room table, can't we grow in this? We who claim to follow, to follow the one who said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Here's the question. We'll pray. Will you allow God to give you a greater heart for the lost by looking more fully at his son Jesus, at his initiating and his exemplary uh, evangelism? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.